Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Indie Elixir podcast. My name's Carter Bryden, and this is episode number seven. So, I'm recording from the lovely Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Uh, that's my original hometown, and I'm here uh, a little bit at the last minute. Um, I was flown into town by a client uh, for a project that we have been working on for a number of years, and we just finished negotiations with a major customer, and so we're going to be setting everything up. So that's what I've been doing for the last uh, three or four weeks here. And unfortunately, it hasn't given me a lot of time to work on my own Elixir projects. So rather than dipping into Elixir code like I was originally planning to, uh, I thought I'd do a little bit more of a fun episode with uh, some of the tools and and uh, uh, services that I use as a developer I know when I listen to other podcasts about development, I always really like the episodes where they talk about, uh, you know, what what tools they're using and what helps them out on a day-to-day. So hopefully you find something interesting here. Uh, so the first thing I want to talk about is uh, developing in cloud IDEs. So I think I've talked about this a little bit before, but most of us as developers, at least how we started out, and probably most of you are, are still using uh, is uh, when you when you get put on a project or or you have a new project, what you do is you set up your local environment. So that might be uh, originally it was usually something like you'd be setting up uh, maybe a LAMP stack back in the day, or later on something like a Vagrant VM. Uh, now a lot of people are using Docker's uh, Docker containers. I mean, um, so those are all really good ways to do that. I found as a developer, I have a lot of different projects, dozens and dozens of different projects, some of which are active all the time, some of which are inactive most of the time, but I need to switch between them a lot. And I also travel around a lot. So I'm on different computers. I'm on my desktop, my laptop, client, you know, work environments, things like that. So that was getting to be actually a major hassle for me. And it wasn't a huge problem, but setting up environments all the time and keeping them in sync, there's lots of ways to do that, but it was becoming such a pain for me. Um, In the meantime, we were seeing all these improvements in deployment. So all of these cloud features that you would get with AWS, DigitalOcean, Google Cloud, you could deploy to them. And it just seemed like magic, like we were having this revolution in how we deployed things uh, and in hosting and in all of these services. And at the same time as that, I was also seeing things like, uh, you know, Google Docs and and, uh, the Google Office suite. And I just thought, well, why can't we have that for, you know, programmers development, um, their local development environments? So I started looking around and it turns out there were a few options and there are more options all the time. Although it's not an area that's growing nearly as fast as I would like. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. But um Basically, I found that there were a few options out there. So the first one was there would be an ID and it'd be something I could log into in a browser. It would give me essentially what I would get with something like VS Code or Sublime or any of those others. Um, There's also Eclipse Shea, which would give you a, a heavier IDE with a lot more features. Although I don't particularly like the Eclipse um design of things. That's just a personal preference. I used to do Java development uh, 
back in the day a little bit of that. And I used Eclipse then, and it was always just a little bit more um, engineered than I liked. So, um, you know, I liked the idea of that, but it didn't really solve most of my problems. Like, okay, so that's cool. I can connect this in through SSH or FTP to a server, I guess. You know, but I'm still doing basically all the same work. I have to set all this stuff up. I have to do all these things. Um, What really sort of revolutionized it for me was uh, when I found um, Cloud9. And all these tools that I'm about to talk about, no one has paid me to talk about them. This isn't advertising. I just like them. Uh, And it's hard to talk about them without, you know, calling out names and brands and things like that. So I'm just... Not even going to worry about it. But uh, so anyways, so I found Cloud9 and their whole thing was they had this pretty great editor uh, that I could access through a browser, worked really well, worked as well for me as any of the other editors I used locally. Um, But the other half of it was that they would manage containers for me. And so they had all these features basically simplifying creating workspaces. So workspace, we essentially, you can think of it like a Docker container or a VM. Um, and so, you know, I could create something with an, with a one click image, uh, you know, that might be say, uh, a lamp stack install, or it might be, I think they had a WordPress one. They had, they had a bunch of stuff. Uh, if you've ever used DigitalOcean, uh, one click application deploys, it's a lot like that. Um, or Heroku, some of those things. I haven't used a lot of Heroku, so uh, I'm not totally sure if that'd be the same thing here, but something similar to that where you can pick it and deploy it, it launches it with sort of a predefined stack that has everything you need. Um, And it had some pretty great features around cloning workspaces, um, some really great features around sharing and collaboration. So that was a big deal to me. Um, Not that I wanted to have one workspace where all the developers worked on the same code base and the same, uh, literally the same repo, not different instances of the same repo. Um, I I think everybody could agree that'd be pretty bad practice and would cause a lot of problems. But this was around when I had started working um, with various teams. And so sometimes I was working with newer developers or a more experienced developer that I needed them to get me up to speed on a project. So it was really great to be able to set up that project on a workspace on Cloud9 and then have them, uh, I could invite them, have them come in and we could pair program regardless of where I was which was really awesome. You know, I could see their cursors in real time is basically like using Google docs, you know, it's sort of similar to that. Um, so that was a really powerful, awesome tool for me. Um, and what really sold it was it just kind of, it did everything that I needed without me having to really think or put a lot of effort in. So if you've ever used other, uh, you know, some of these other services, some of which I'll talk a little bit about, but, um, you know, if you've used Stripe for instance, in your development, or I really like DigitalOcean. They're all similar ideas in that they're designed to be as few steps and make you think as little as possible. So that's not necessarily what everybody wants. Sometimes you have to give up some flexibility and some power to do that. I found most of the time these, I wasn't really giving up any flexibility or power. Uh, for instance, these workspaces where I had full root access, I could do whatever I wanted with them. You know, it's the same thing as spinning up a droplet or an EC2 instance. So 
what was what was the most powerful about this was how easily I could spin up workspaces, how easily I could clone them, um, that I could invite people and collaborate with them. Uh, but there were some other features like they would give me a subdomain on, you know, it'd be whatever the workspace was dot c9.io or something like that. Um, and so that's super powerful to me because now suddenly I don't have to deploy this somewhere else to test it, to show it to clients, things like that. Um, you know, I can preview things as I'm working on them. I could make that public or private, just really powerful features that were one click, um, you know, and I could control access to who had access to the editor itself and the files to who had access to the, uh, you know, that, that subdomain preview URL. Uh, it came with a full built-in uh, terminal, uh, which is essentially like an SSH connection. You can think of it like that, but it's built into the IDE. Um, just a lot of really powerful stuff. And so now, because I switched so many projects, all I have to do is literally go to the dashboard and click open, and it opens up. Uh, because I'm switching devices so often, I can be editing, close the close the browser, open up my laptop in a coffee shop somewhere and it'll log into it and it'll be the exact same spot I, I left off at. I don't have to set anything up. I don't have to think. I don't have to sync anything. It is literally the exact same workspace and the same editor, which is really, really nice. Um, so as I was saying, I found Cloud9 and that was that was sort of my like DigitalOcean or Stripe or whatever for this kind of thing. All the others seemed way more complicated, way harder to use. Um or they would they would lack features that I I wanted, or their their business model didn't make sense to me. Um, unfortunately, Cloud Nine uh, was bought out by AWS uh, or Amazon rather uh, about a year ago, I think now, and so they've since closed down any access to new users to their original Cloud Nine, and now it's built into AWS. Unfortunately, along the way, they got rid of a lot of what made it really, really easy to use. So if you're an AWS user, you might find this still pretty easy to use. And I think it, some of the new features I like, but most of it, it just took away all the ease of use. That was the main factor, you know, that attracted me to it in the first place. So I've actually been looking at switching over to um, Code Anywhere, which is another um, option for this. And they seem sort of similar. But the, it's it's a little bit more uh, like the original Cloud Nine, so that that's my first my first tool. And I think actually now now that I think about it, this last episode I talked about this maybe quite a bit, at least one of them, anyways. So uh, sorry if I'm uh, repeating myself a bit here, but I honestly cannot emphasize enough how much I love Cloud IDE development. It is awesome, and I don't feel like I'm giving up anything for it. So that's kind of my first uh, my first set of tools. Uh, some options out there are, as I said, Cloud9, Code Anywhere. I think Code Tasty is one, although it doesn't come with any built-in backend containers that you can use. Um, there's also there's Eclipse Shea, and then there's a provider that will do hosting for you with that. Although it seemed pretty confusing to me when I looked at it. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's a few options out there. I'm really still waiting for someone to absolutely nail this uh, in the same way that, say, Stripe or DigitalOcean have nailed their things for me. Um, I keep thinking about 
trying to work on this myself, but I just don't think I'd possibly have the time to take on a project like that. It'd be a pretty big, uh, pretty big effort to get that going. So, um, let's see next tool. Uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. So one of my favorite, uh, things that I ever did was, uh, switch over to self-hosted, uh, Git servers. So with all the recent, uh, talk about, um, GitHub being acquired by Microsoft, you might have some different feelings about that depending on uh, who you are, where you work, that kind of thing. Um, I think probably that's not going to be a huge deal. Um, Microsoft, I think, will have a pretty vested interest in keeping GitHub alive and well and as people want to use it, um, you know, as they expect to use it. So I'm not too worried about that. But, you know, a few years ago before GitHub had changed its pricing and a few other things, I found that I wanted to try out self-hosted Git. And so the reason for that was uh, I was working on some projects that uh, we had um, we had to keep it in the country. We had to keep it uh, um, off of third-party servers. So the client had their own servers you know, on actual physical rack space in their building. Um, a few things like that. And... The first time I installed it, I installed uh, GitLab. And so I think it was the community edition we were using. So GitLab's a pretty awesome alternative. But there was one issue with it, for me at least, which was it seemed to be pretty resource intensive. And at least for me, it wasn't very reliable. So we would have, we only had maybe five or so developers using it. Um, but it would fail to uh it would fail on pushes sometimes it would crash sometimes uh it was eating up a lot of resources so we eventually switched off of it uh and i went with something else called uh gogs which is uh, uh g-o-g-s and so it's a git server written in go and man i have been just absolutely pleased with that since day one uh it took me almost no time at all to set up uh partly because you know go stuff compiles into a binary that you can just install basically. Um, and because it's written in Go, it is super, super efficient. So I have it running on, uh, for my, for my own projects, I have it running on a, uh, a $5 droplet. And one of, this is one of the old $5 droplets, not the new ones with more resources, uh, which I guess I could upgrade now, but, um, this was before they switched over to all the, the new, uh, plans that they have. And it has never crashed. It has never had any problems. I'm not sure it's ever even had an error that I know about. Uh, it works flawlessly. And it's running on a $5 droplet with almost no memory. There's a few other sites I have running on there. It basically is perfect for me. Um, the other thing it lets me do is I have full control. So unlimited users, unlimited projects. I could install it on... Uh, like an intranet and have it only accessible within a network. Um, I could have it uh, set up with all kinds of security things. Um, there's just a lot you can do with it because you have full control. And best of all, it's free. It's open source, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, so I've been really happy with that. Um, there's one other fork of that repo uh, called Giddy. So, or Git T. 
um, which is G-I-T-E-A. And so it was a fork of the uh, GOGS repo. I think what happened there is a developer or the main developer for GOGS uh, sort of, uh, I don't know if he was on vacation or what he was doing, but he was away for a few months. Um, and some of the contributors kind of, you know, wanted to keep things going or maybe a little worried he wasn't coming back. So they forked it. And that seems to be the one that um, uh, that community for that fork seems to be more interested in uh, expanding on the feature set, maybe a little bit more than the original uh, GOGS repo. I haven't really looked at either in a while because I don't need any of the new features they're probably working on. And I haven't updated it because I'm totally happy with what I've got. But uh, I think that was kind of what I was looking at uh, when I compared them a little while ago. Uh, they, they, they're very similar. They're, they're based off the same original code base, obviously, cause it's a fork. Um, but, uh, those are two options you might want to look at. Either one might appeal more to you one way or the other. Uh, I think the original GOGS repo was maybe more focused on improving things like reliability and, and, uh, you know, polishing things up rather than adding new features. Um, but I don't, I'm not too sure now I haven't really kept up with their development. So that could have changed in the meantime. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that self-hosting Git is worth looking at for a lot of people. I think a lot of people think that it's going to be really hard to set up. It's going to be hard to maintain. Why would you do that when you have GitHub can do all these things and GitHub is awesome for a lot of things, especially open source. But if you need private repos, you need a lot of private uh, collaborators, things like that. Self-hosting is a really great option and it really doesn't cost very much at all. You can probably throw one of these on another server that you're already paying for anyways. Um, So definitely something to consider. Uh, I really recommend it, Uh, at least for your own projects. It's just fun to have your own little Git server that you can can send things to without worrying about uh, any of that other stuff. And again, I've never had any downtime with it ever. So... Not not much to uh, hate on there. Uh, so there's some there's definitely some third party services that I kind of want to talk about too. And you know, again, nobody's paying me to talk about this stuff, but uh, these are things that I use all the time, and uh, they might save you some time and money, um, or help you do some things that are maybe a little more difficult or outside of your wheelhouse as a developer. So the first one is you should definitely be using some kind of transactional mail service, email service, that is, uh, if you're working on web apps or anything like that where you need to send mail out. You can you can send mail from your server. You can set up your own mail servers. Um, it's just, it's there's so much that goes into that. I, if, if you're doing that right now, I really, <laughs> I have to, I have to question, you know, whether you, maybe you just hate yourself or something, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's so not worth it to me to be worrying about that. And these are so cost effective. It's almost ridiculous. Um, so they're really easy to set up. You can integrate them with practically anything ever. So totally recommend checking out one of those. If you're not already using them, I suspect most of you are, uh, some of the options out there are Mailgun, postmark, uh, there's spark there. There's a bunch out there. It doesn't particularly matter, uh, for the most part, which one you use, they all have different trade-offs. Um, but, for the most part, they're pretty cheap. They can send out a bunch of emails really well. Uh, they have good uh, send rates and things like that, you know, so deliverability is typically very good. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something that uh, 
you should really consider if you're not doing that right now. The next thing is something that might not be for everybody, but I find more and more I'm making use of uh, Twilio. And so I think there's some other options out there for this kind of stuff. Um, And by that, I mean, essentially difficult telecom type of things. So most people these days have smartphones or a cell phone of some kind, at least depending on which part of the world you're in. Um, And so things like sending texts as part of your app are really, really common these days. But communicating with different telecoms is actually a really, really hard problem to solve. And so using someone like Twilio is so ridiculously cost effective again, to the point where I have many clients who have never paid Twilio a dime despite using them for years because their free plan or their, you know, their the free amounts that you get are definitely high enough for lots of people, or they're so cheap that it's literally pennies, you know? Um, so definitely I'd recommend Twilio if you're looking to send text messages. Um, I use it for some video chat stuff. Uh, we've used it for phone, you know, connecting, uh, um, VoIP stuff to landlines and cell phones, all kinds of stuff like that. You can send faxes with it. Uh, there's a huge API that they have that does all this crazy stuff with telecom that is otherwise really, really difficult to do. So if you're trying to figure out that kind of thing, save yourself some time, check out something like Twilio. Um, I'll have to look and see if there's some other options out there. I honestly don't know of any because I've never had any problems with Twilio. And as I said, it's pretty cost effective. So uh, the next one here is Stripe. If you take payments of any kind, I strongly, strongly recommend that you check out Stripe. Uh, so I've used uh, PayPal and Braintree and and several other options out there. Uh, none of them even come close to how nice it is to use Stripe, uh, particularly if you're using anything like um, like you have users that need to pay other users rather than just buy something directly from you. Uh, th- there's a whole dedicated thing in Stripe for that, uh, which right now the name is escaping me, but uh, they, they definitely have it. Um, Stripe Connect, that's what it is. Uh, so Stripe is one of those rare companies where they seem to have just nailed the ease of use and like making it nice to use rather than just having, you know, powerful features and whatever. It almost feels like a designer driven company rather than engineering, except that their engineering is really good. So, uh, definitely recommend checking them out. Uh, if you need something like if you need to accept PayPal, I guess they're not really an option right now. Uh, although, I did have uh, um, someone from Stripe contact me about that after I made a post on the Indie Hackers forum about it. They just sent me an email saying, you know, that was a really, it's really interesting that you you were talking about uh, Stripe allowing PayPal payments uh, on there. Uh, you know, would you like to talk more about it? I never did end up connecting with them. Uh, I just got too busy, but uh, hopefully that's something they're seriously considering because that would be awesome. Uh, so another one, which I've kind of talked about a little bit here, uh, DigitalOcean for hosting. So DigitalOcean, like tons of cloud hosting providers out there, will do all the stuff you expect. But the reason I picked DigitalOcean over say AWS or, uh, you know, there's Vulture, there's Google Cloud, there's a ton of them out there. 
DigitalOcean is hands down the easiest one that I've used uh, to get going, to maintain, to set up all of that stuff. It, they really, you know, a lot like Stripe, they're trying to make everything as pleasurable to do as possible and trying to make you think as little as possible to get things going, which when you're a developer, maybe you've, you've built up some of these awesome, you know, sort of sysadmin style skills or DevOps skills. Um, and that's great. Um, those are really useful, but it does sort of suck when you're a developer, you just want to get developing or you want to get this thing deployed and, you know, you have to sit down and figure out all the AWS, you know, permissions and users and uh, IAMs and SAMs and I don't know, any other acronym you can think of. Uh, DigitalOcean is just the kind of thing where you log in and you say, yeah, I want to create a droplet. You pick how much you want on it, it launches, and then you deploy your code, you know. Um, it's really pretty simple. So I've always liked that. The biggest thing for me lately with them is that they came up with some really awesome flexibility in their plans for different resources. So for instance, when I use, uh, or when I'm deploying something with Elixir on it, I really want to have more CPUs so I can make use of concurrency. Um, and so now I can pay, you know, $10 or $15 and get some extra CPUs, um, or virtual CPUs, but same thing. They, they work concurrently as well. Um, so I can pay $15 for that. Uh, whereas before, or with many other providers, you would, you'd pay $15 and they would give you more RAM or some other resources that maybe you don't care as much about. And with DigitalOcean, I can just kind of, uh, there's more options where I can choose. I want more CPUs and not as much RAM, or I want more space or whatever. Uh, so I really like the plans that they have now. It's very solid and I definitely have not had any problems with DigitalOcean in the past. So really happy with them too. And so the final thing I'm going to talk about here is uh, something that a friend of mine who is a bit of a, a guru to me at least on automated deployments and automating the heck out of everything. Um, it's just something he does really well. And he rants and raves all the time about how much he loves uh, BuddyWorks. So I think their website is maybe buddy.works or buddyworks.com or something like that. Google them, they'll come up. Uh, and so the idea behind that is much like these other things that I've talked about, they basically obscure a lot of the difficult uh, parts of automating things. So they have a really, really solid UI for automating and basically creating these pipelines of automation, connecting all these things, integrating things together um, with a nice visual UI that you can drop into, um, you know, more command line or uh, scripted uh, stuff at any time, at any part. And it's something that you can do and then you could hand off to someone who's non-technical and they can actually manage it, which is super impressive to me because I've worked with uh, plenty of projects where you have someone who's non-technical, you know, product owner or manager, or whoever, um, and they want to be able to, you know, uh, roll back servers, update them, deploy them, whatever, and, you know, scale up when you have spikes and they can't really do that because it's it requires some serious technical knowledge. You know, if you're doing something like that on AWS, you've got to you've got to not only have some pretty solid DevOps skill, you've got to know AWS specifically and know it pretty well. Uh, with something like BuddyWorks, you you the developer could automate all of that, 
um, set it up into a good flow, and then you can get uh, these people to come in there and use BuddyWorks. And for them, it's like this super friendly interface. So it's really nice. For me, it's just I don't want to have to dip into some hardcore DevOps skills every time I want to do something like this. That's just not interesting to me. Uh, so having these things that I can set up once and then modify them once in a while and have them work really well is pretty awesome. So I haven't made heavy use of BuddyWorks yet, but uh, it's definitely something that I'm looking at for most of my my projects going forward, um, including my indie projects, uh, just because from everything I hear about it, from what I've seen, from what little I've used it, it just seems like a really solid product to use. Um, so there's some other options out there for this kind of stuff. I don't particularly know much about them, but, um, you know, it's just sort of these automated, uh, uh, services that they're sort of like the glue for all of your stuff for deployment, or you can use them in development and other things too. Uh, you know, you could set up an automated flow for when you push to your self-hosted Git repo. Uh, you know, you could do, you could trigger XYZ events and have all these different things happen. Um, just a lot of nice stuff that makes your day-to-day life as a developer a lot nicer and also could potentially save you from, you know, those midnight calls or, or you know, your off-hour calls where something needs to happen with uh, with production or the dev, env- uh, you know, like some dev environment set up for maybe some new devs. You're not around. Well, now they can kind of handle that stuff. So... It's always very nice. Um, So I think that's everything I've got for today. Uh, Hopefully I should be back uh, in the next uh, week or two. Um, I'll get back into some Elixir things and uh, talk some more about uh, my indie projects. Um, Again, if there's anything you'd like to get in touch with me for, uh, you can reach me on Twitter at pseudocodes. That's at S-U-D-O-C-O-D-E-S. You can send me an email at carter at indielixir.com. So, yeah, until next time, uh, have a good day, and we'll talk to you then.